Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Final hour is here. Kurt Schilling will join us in 20 minutes. We'll dive into the World Baseball Classic. Otani possibly pitching in the final. There's some discussion about that and much more. Preview the upcoming Major League Baseball season. You can check out the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show at Outkick.com. Uh, I would also recommend going and reading and, and watching some of the uh, comments from the presser today as St. John's introduced Rick Pitino as their next head coach. And as expected, as he stands at Madison Square Garden, uh, Patino did not hold back on accepting the expectations that come with the program and how they haven't met expectations recently, but soon they will be back. And Chad, it was as uh, an alpha as a press conference as you might expect from Patino. And he's celebrating in great style where he's drinking champagne prior to the presser. And as he's introduced, he says, it's not about when or if it's going to happen for St. John's. It's going to happen in a big way. Uh, Mentions through uh, Ashley Ashley Fox's tweet here. My vision is to play every game at Madison Square Garden conference-wise. It has to be played in a major facility. Carneseca was not big enough for the brand of basketball that we are going to build. Uh, that from Rick Pitino as the new head coach. He says he's always had a style of play that his fans love, and he's going to bring that style of play, and the fans are going to love him. And without a question, you can win, win right away. I think Pittsburgh has shown us that right away. I think Missouri has shown us that. I need guys who can shoot the basketball, not get fatigued, get after it defensively. We're probably going to have to bring in six to eight players for this basketball team. And that's going to take a lot of work. And then he says a lot of these players probably won't be back on the team because they're probably not a good fit for me. Yeah, He, he did goes, this in a more formal setting than Dion did at Colorado. He also goes on to say about that a lot of guys won't be back. Talking about the player he wants, he says that he feels like most players love playing for him, but that it takes a certain type. He's got to be total, over the top, in love with the game of basketball. And if you're not, it's going to be a bad fit with me. It doesn't work. So there will be a lot of players who I hope will move on to greener pastures. <laughs> Talking about the team that he's inheriting. There's a lot of rumors about chemistry, locker room issues with this St. John's team. And I think he alluded to some of that in the press conference also. That he's got to clean up. And his answer to clean that up is, he mentioned the name of the, the one player that he Soriano. wants to bu- build around. Soriano. That's a guy he wants to keep. I think pretty much everyone else, he's saying, you can... Hit the road if you want. I'm bringing in transfers that are going to come in, and we'll turn this thing around quick. Yeah, and I'll get my type of player to come in. Uh, Iona's top scorer, who was the MAAC Player of the Year, Go on. hit the transfer portal this morning, and I'm thinking, boy, that's interesting timing. When is Rick Pitino's? Pre- oh, it's today. Going? It's today. That's right. He's going to be at St. John's today. I expect that player to be at St. John's very soon. He averaged 16.8 points per game at Iona. So this is a great move for St. John's. I'm fired up. I'm no St. John's fan. I'm a big fan of Big East basketball. And this is a brilliant move for oh. that program. 
and he brings instantaneous credibility and presence well, back to that program. Uh, think about the programs that have been carrying, shouldering the, the load of making the Big East really great uh, with Marquette, Xavier, Creighton, UConn, Providence, and now Georgetown and St. John's are back. You know, you've got this. Yeah. You've got the, the, the brands back with the coaches that are going to bring them. I, I believe Cooley will do the same thing at Georgetown. I think Patino can, can have success faster based on the players he's going to bring with him in the transfer portal. But there's nothing that, that Cooley couldn't also do. But Chad, the, the final quote from him as he was wrapping things up, Patino today. St. John's is one of the legendary names in all of college basketball. Has it fallen on tough times? Yes, it has. But now we're ready to fall on great times. We're ready to raise it up, raise this roof up, because St. John's will be back, I guarantee that. That from Patino. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to sign up. If I, if I was an 18-year-old kid and I love basketball at the level that Rick Patino wanted right now and I had the ability to play at St. John's, I would give St. John's a look under Rick Patino. So it's an exciting time to be a fan of that program. And an exciting time in the Big East. You mentioned it. He's 70 years but old. Let's let's go down the roster of yeah. coaches now in the Big East. Yes. This is how the SEC got really good at men's basketball. They started bringing in legit coaches to the conference. Sean Miller at Xavier. Shaka Smart at Marquette. Dan Hurley at UConn. Greg McDermott and his longtime yeah. success at Creighton. Now you got Rick Patino at St. John's. You know you go uh, up the road. To Providence with Ed Cooley. This is a, it's a legit conference again. Not that it ever well, wasn't, yeah. but it's more so now with some of the success we're seeing from these teams. And, and Providence is open for a good quality coach up and coming or a veteran coach that's looking to jump back into the thick of it. Um, it's a, it is a great co- Georgetown against Providence next season is going to be awesome with Cooley bringing Georgetown back. Well, here's a name that, I, that would interest me if I'm Providence. Mike Bray. Yeah, but he's being rumored for South Florida. South is that right? Florida, is that where he wants to, like, is his family there, retired? I mean, or? Tampa's nice, but um, I would rather be at Providence if I want to win again and win, yeah. at the, win at the highest level. I'd want to be in the Big East. So, Does Bayhound want to retire? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm being serious. That would be hilarious. If Jim the way, the, the way things ended at Syracuse and he just goes to Providence? We've seen crazier things happen, but I mean... Jim Beheim. I'm just thinking about the way it was handled. Has been there since 1976. <laughs> he was the head coach in 76. He was a player there before that. I mean, he's been at that university since like 1972 as a player or coach. What? Yeah, like 47 years or something. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, it was weird how things ended for a legendary coach at Syracuse. It was, but I don't think Jim Beheim's coaching anywhere but Syracuse. It's weird because he wanted to keep coaching and they didn't want him to keep coaching. Yeah. And they had to shove him out. Yeah, after a, a disappointing season. But Providence, the, though, is going to be it's going to be interesting to follow because that is a good program that's got good interest in a good basketball area and basketball city. That if you want to match the ante of some of your conference foes, now you need to think big. Yeah, you need to go with either the absolute hottest name at the mid-major level that you know is about to get a jump up in, in a coaching job. Or you dip your your toes in the waters of guys who have the big name that are either out of coaching, falling out of favor. Is there a Shaka Smart type situation with someone who's not doing great at a different job that would be better at that type of job? 
I mean, Shaka Smart wasn't fired at Texas. He left right. to go to Marquette, but it was probably a year before he, he might have been fired. So I'm trying to think if there's a coach out there that you look at and think, I mean, here's one that will never happen because he's going to get paid $33 million a year from now to walk away. John Calipari. Mm. John Calipari but, would do great at Providence. Who's the other performing SEC program right now that hasn't just recently hired a coach? Mike White's been on the move now. I'm trying to like go around. I don't know if there is one that just makes a jump. Yeah, As an example, like Shaka Smart. It's mostly a mixture of guys who are either established and in no trouble at their job yeah. or newer coaches at different places in the SEC. Well, even the ACC. You go through some of the Power Five conferences that could make sense for Providence. We'll put a list together. Yeah, Davey for, Hudson's for sure. working on it right now. He's going to have us his uh, Providence top five. It's the hot board for Providence. It's coming very soon. John Morant volunteered to not be in the starting five for the Grizzlies whenever he returns. Uh, officially, it ends. It ended yesterday, so he can return tomorrow for the Grizzlies. Um, and they'll, you know, uh, I guess start him because while he volunteered to come off the bench is for everything that's gone on, he's got guys like Dylan Brooks saying, no, absolutely not. Uh, you're starting for the Grizzlies, and he should if he's eligible to play, and he is. Chad, this is uh, all eyes on John Morant right now. Uh, the, the NBA stepped in. He met with the commissioner. We've seen different issues along the way this season, and now it's on him to have a chance to get it right because we're on a string of incidents and discussion topics that had nothing to do with the talent that he had on the court. It had everything to do with either what he was doing or the crew he was running with throughout all this. And I hope he makes the right call here because he's in a... We had Brandon Wright in last week. We asked him. He, minimum, he's top 10 player in the league. Top five, I think you could put him in there. And what he's done on the court for Memphis versus what we're seeing happen to him off the court. I'm glad the NBA did something. I'm, I'm glad the Grizzlies handled this the right way because now... That's not the story. You know, he's not pissed off at the, at the uh, organization. He's looking at himself in the mirror. At least that's what I presume. And now he has a chance to come back and get it right and lead the Grizzlies to the postseason. By the way, name to watch at Providence, Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. That's one that may be on his way out that could go back to closer to the area where he's from to watch. And Kim English was mentioned, too. Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking of the big-name coach. Yes, yes. So he could compete against his brother at UConn. That's it. And Bobby Hurley at Providence would make a lot of sense looking at some of their uh, their candidates. I think John Morant's going to be fine this season. I think now that he has been frightened enough with the possibility of having to – not the possibility, he had to meet with Adam Silver. He had to look that the, uh, the, the ghost of Christmas future in the face and see that – basketball may not be available to me if I continue down this path. I think that scared him enough to where it's kind of like the old scared straight videos back in middle school. He's been scared straight enough where he's going to be fine and well-behaved for the remainder of this season and however long their playoff run goes. Problem with John Morant's going to be when basketball ends this season and when he starts having pickup games at his house and when he starts getting calls from the finish line because his mom's into it with a a worker there, and then he gets into fights with security guards, and then he's got more time to himself, and he's hanging around around the same crew that he is right now. I think that's where problems could present themselves. I hope that's not the case. I hope that he's better now. I hope he makes better decisions, but I do think that he cares and loves 
cares about and loves basketball enough sure. that it's not going to be an issue for the remainder of this season. But I think once that season ends, that's where well, it could become a problem again. Not an issue for him. What about his dad and everyone else that's I think I think that he can keep them at arm's length enough again while basketball is happening. He'll have enough built-in schedule excuses to not be around them as much to get through this the, stretch run of the regular season and playoffs. I think the offseason is going to be where problems will arise. Yeah, and it, post-game is, shouldn't be an issue either. The Grizzlies changed their protocol to where they're not going to stay over and then fly the next day if they're in a, a, a city that an NBA player would want to hit, right? I think the ones are obvious. There are a handful where, I mean, we were talking with Brandon last week, if, if you don't stay over in Salt Lake. You know, there are a few others uh, where you're, you're not wanting, you want to go to your next destination or get back home. And there are trips where if you're going to L.A. or if you're in Miami or New York or wherever, uh, if the team wants to stay over a night, they do post-game. Memphis has decided they're changing that protocol uh, to help out all that's been going on here. And that's the right call with this. Did you see uh, Kyrie and, and Dylan Brooks, by the way, he's turned into the most hated player in the league per the players. It's tough to be hated I think by him, players. Him and Draymond Green should like each other more because they're both so hated. Yeah, but, it, but everyone it, else hates both of them. But they, I think Draymond is respected because of the titles, and he's been doing this right, and he's not afraid to go at it with. <laughs> I mean, you got. I mean, look at the the quote from from Clay Thompson, who's talking trash now. Uh, it, it the the idea that uh, Dylan Brooks all of a sudden became the most hated player. Thompson's confirming it. Quote, I don't care about Dylan Brooks. When he retires, I don't think anyone will ever talk about Dylan Brooks ever again. That from Clay Thompson. Kyrie and, and Dylan Brooks post-game, Brooks came up and wanted to swap jerseys with him. So uh, Kyrie gave him his jersey but did not accept Brooks's jersey and was asked about it post-game. He's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not swapping jerseys. I don't. You know, he didn't want Brooks's jersey whatsoever. He goes, maybe next time. No. Yeah, we, he, we know mean, the he, answer there. He was dismissive about it. He said, "It's no, it's no ill will." He's like, "I'll get it next no. time I see him, and we're going to autograph it." I love this it. though. We need more of this. Well, we don't need Kyrie Irving giving his jersey either. I don't want. I want the whole jersey swap we, thing to go away. Keep your jersey on. Shake hands. Go to your locker room. If you want to exchange a jersey in the off season because you're a big fan of someone, we'll do it. Or there's mutual respect. Yeah, we're like seeing this the, in the NFL. I, I, I hate the jersey swap in the NFL. So stupid. Uh, the way it was done, it happened in the tunnel post game where you sent your equipment guy down the hallway, and the other equipment guy would meet up and swap, and you'd have the signed jersey. Now they do it at the fifty after a big loss or a big win, and you know everything's great. Um, we need more rivalry here. Brooks is actually making the NBA interesting, believe it or not, because the other players are talking about him, even the players we don't hear from much, talking trash, like Clay Thompson. There was that video of Clay Thompson who was apparently looking at Dylan Brooks at one point and counting his titles to him. Yeah. He was running his mouth and he was doing the one, two, three, four, and the funniest response I said that was he doing that or was he counting out the Warriors' road wins on the season? <laughs> four. Uh, how, whatever the number is. I thought that was a funny response, too. Um, I hate all of this, okay? Uh, Dylan Brooks, I don't like. Uh, I like the fact that he's getting some hatred going around the league, but I don't like this Grizzlies team right now. They talk way too much for someone that has not done a thing 
Clay Thompson is right to spout back at him and say this. I wish Clay Thompson could stay healthy longer, too. I would like to enjoy his game a little bit more. Um, I just don't love this story. I think the Kyrie Irving thing is blown out of proportion. He said post-game, he's like, I'll hit him back later. I wish Kyrie Irving would have come out and said, let's be done with the whole jersey exchange thing if that's what he really wanted to do and not get his jersey at all. I shouldn't be giving you my jersey. Don't give me yours. I don't even want it. I don't care about you. I don't know that he's being completely honest post-game. Um, I don't like any of it. I, I, I don't like Kyrie any was... of the stuff going on. Now, if this blows up into a seven-game great series – where there's fights back and forth. I know there was bad blood from the playoff series oh, last I, year. I want to watch the then playoffs. Then let's get that going. Them. But here's what needs to happen to make this a thing. The Grizzlies must win that series. If they eliminate the champs, the Warriors, and move on, we got ourselves some true bad blood now. We've got some back and forth. The Russian is cut. At that point, the Russian is cut. And? They need to cut the Russian. And the the Russian here is the Golden State Warriors, and they are the only ones allowed to talk trash until the Grizzlies actually win something. Yeah, in the postseason, because they've been beating them recently, uh, even this past week. Oh, the Warriors can't win on the road. Yeah, they need uh, to look into their party uh, city policies, too. Well, I mean, uh, at least they go to establishments where the cameras aren't rolling and. Yeah, they're well, not they're also guns. looking at and talking to, you know, Steve Kerr's looking around saying, you know, we, we save our road wins for the playoffs. <laughs> We'll, we'll gear up for the playoffs and go on another run. That's what they're thinking. Yeah, I, I still like the move by Kyrie. Both players taking off the jersey. Kyrie hands his. Brooks is sitting there standing there holding his. And Kyrie walks off. Yeah, uh, he could have, it, it could have been more awkward, but Brooks like immediately <laughs> kept walking. You know, he's uh, yeah. It's sort of like you get the you with, get you, you get stood up Kyrie's, for the high five or the fist bump, and yeah. you just kind of keep rolling to the next person. He sort of did that with both jerseys in hand. So. Game five, Knicks, Lakers, Willis Reed, Hurt, misses game six. The return to the garden and a tunnel ends up being named after Willis Reed, Willis Reed Tunnel. No one could figure out, didn't know one way or the other if, if Reed was going to play in game seven, and he did. Limped onto the court, and the rest is history. Uh, Willis Reed passes away today, and uh, Naismith, Basketball Hall of Famer, you can't mention comebacks or um, a guy that's hurt that continues to play or comes back out of the locker room to play without thinking about Willis Reed. Yeah, and reading a little bit about him, there's not many guys who have a game named after him, and then you know immediately what it is. The Willis Reed game is something that's always referenced. I'd love to know Willis Reed's thoughts on load management when the guy tore a thigh muscle. Yeah. And then came back two games later, reading stories from his teammates about looking across the court at that Lakers team and seeing Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and Wilt Chamberlain stop in their layup line and stare at Willis Reed jogging out of the tunnel for that game and just watching his every movement thinking, is this guy really going to play? And then how his teammates knew, he's like, man, we got the guy in this game. that they, It has them that concerned that he may play. Goes out in that game, he scores the first four points of the game and does not score again. But those first four points were so important psychologically that he gutted it out and showed he could do something. Played 27 minutes in the game, four points. Knicks won that game by 14. 14. They won the, the championship. That's the greatest era in New York Knicks basketball history. What a story that was. What a guy. 
I mean, he is uh, Derek Jeter to the Knicks. He is simply known as the captain. Yeah, and and that's that was that's who he was. And just tie it back in with what we were previously talking about. That was 1970, and that was the same year of Pistol Pete setting the college basketball scoring record. Great uh, year for hoops, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, again, that, that's for any sport, by the way. The injury comeback. Willis Reed's mentioned. Willis Reed's always that guy. Coming up, Kurt Schilling joins us next on Outkick 360. Chad, we can definitely tie in our last conversation with our next guest. Kurt Schilling joins us on Outkick 360. Uh, host, of course, of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Available every Tuesday and Friday at Outkick.com. It's been a great start. Uh, new episode up today as well. Kurt, how are you, man? What's up, guys? How are you doing? Good, man. Doing great. So, Willis Reed, the great Willis Reed, passes away today, Kurt. And we immediately started thinking about... That's a guy who, when you say his name, it's synonymous with a game, the Willis-Reed game, coming back from injury, playing in a Game 7 uh, against uh, against the Lakers. And you've got a little something in common with that because you're often known and referred to as the, the bloody sock game with Kurt Schilling uh, against the Yankees. Um, your thoughts on Willis-Reed, you know, the type of player was, but also as someone who does have something in common with him, being synonymous with overcoming something. Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, irony is is thick here. I was actually literally reading the article about his passing and the game and his career. Uh, not a big basketball guy. Probably didn't understand his significance in the New York Knicks timeline of basketball, but he clearly was an iconic figure. Um, I got to, one of the things that I remember most vividly from 2004 was after game six in Yankee Stadium, the first time I pitched with the ruptured and, and the blood, uh, Theo Epstein after the game said, you know, people are talking about Willis Reed uh, 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 and Kurt Schilling pulling a Willis Reed, but I think this this needs to be now that Willis Reed pulled a Kurt Schilling. And I was like, and I didn't know the history at that time. So I obviously went back and looked at it. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that's one of those things sabermetricians hate, right? He went out and scored four points and played 27 minutes. And from a from an end of the game box score, I think they won the game by 14. It wasn't really meaningful, but it was the game. If you talk to anybody there, it was the Frazier has the greatest game of his career. I mean, things like that do happen and you can't measure them. And I think that's probably what, as I researched him, his career was not really measurable from, from his off-the-court numbers. I don't think we've had a chance yet to talk to you about that game or that moment, but is there anything that you've heard or read about that game or the bloody sock that you hate that's that's repeated by people or that you see that you think, man, I, I disagree with that? Or has the coverage been, well, I, you I think, mean, pretty fair about it? The, yeah, I mean, there was the, uh, you know, he faked it and it was catch-up kind of thing, but you know what? I got the ring, so I really don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know what I went through. My teammates saw it. Um, uh, they saw me getting the surgery in the in the locker room, and they know what it was. And and I was on a team where I thought, in my head, anybody on that team would have done the very same thing I did if it meant getting back out on that field to win that series. I mean, had you faked it, I almost would have respected it even more, that level of mind trickery to go win the ring after that to make sure your guys were on your side psychologically. Yeah, well, I know yeah. you did, I mean, but that like would have been said, incredible. The only people that are bitter about it are are were, were liberal Yankee fans 
Um, and I just show them a picture of the ring on Twitter whenever they post something about it and then just move on. How would you have you faked know? it, Kurt? Like it- uh, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Anybody that says that has never actually competed at a, at a high level in anything ever because they don't understand the mental uh, uh, consumption, the, the, the level of mental effort involved in something like that. I mean, hell, most of my career after I pitched a game, I had a migraine, um, uh, severe migraine because of, of for the mental, I think, effort that I put into to everything I did. And, and I mean, that was and it's funny, too, because if you go back and look at the game, the camera and obviously I didn't know this at the time because I didn't know that it was bleeding initially until I, I I don't believe till the fifth or sixth inning. But the camera was on me for every second for nine innings. Like what would I have? How would I have faked that? Number one. But then then uh, a certain sports station runs a commercial it shows three guys playing us in the dugout and somebody drops a ketchup packet in the guy playing my sock, which made me laugh hysterically. Um, but yeah, the guys that the people that are bitter about it are are the fans of the team that that was authored the, the biggest choke in baseball history. So I'm all right with that. Kurt Schilling, our guest on Outkick 360. Check out uh, his podcast and, and show. The, the Kurt Schilling baseball show is available now at Outkick.com. Is Otani going to pitch for Japan in the World Baseball Classic? If they need him, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Is he going oh, yeah. to uh, make the uh, Anaheim Angels upset with this? Uh, listen, I, I, I've been very vocal about this <clears throat> since it started. I have two perspectives, and I have the luxury of being in one of the perspectives my entire career. As a player, my God, I would love this. There's nothing to not love about it. You're wearing you're you're wearing the USA on your jersey. You're representing the flag. And all that that entails, and I would be all for it. As an owner, I would despise it. There is, If you look at any team with World Series aspirations this year, there is literally not one thing that can increase my chances to win a World Series in the WBC. There are multiple things that can decrease it, but nothing can increase it. And, and when I'm Steve Cohen and I'm paying $360 million dollars, a payroll and it's world series of bust or the Yankees or anything like that. As an owner, I just would not want my players in it. I would go as far as probably paying them a little more or having something in their contract that stop them from doing it because as, as a, as a, as an owner, I can't benefit from this. I completely agree with you. I don't know any owner and why they'd want someone out there at all. When you're putting that level of investment into a player, say, into an asset, let me just say this doubly for pitchers. There's yes. no chance I would let my pitcher. None. C- completely agree. But I, I do watch this, Kurt. And, you know, we've talked about attendance issues, especially early in the season, very late in the season for some of these clubs that don't have a chance and have a low payroll and lack of atmosphere at some Major League Baseball games. And I watch this World Baseball Classic, and I think, boy, this is the potential of the sport. The atmosphere yes. at some of these games and some of these nations playing and going head-to-head is – Incredible. It is like Southern college football level atmosphere for some of these baseball games. What do you think about it? To be clear, I think outside of the United States, this is multiple countries World Series. Yeah. I I don't doubt that for a second. When you look, listen, I I played winter ball around uh, in South America and in the Caribbean islands and stuff. Baseball is life there far more than it is here. The, The Dominican and Venezuelan game, Mexico, all those games, those were probably some of the most watched broadcasts in the history of television in those countries because that that is their world series 
That is everything to them. And and, and Japan, you know, I, I think there's always been uh, Japan being the the in many ways wanting to 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 be on the world stage uh, as having some of the best athletes and players in the world. I think Otani is is helping that a lot. Um, I think in other markets, it's it's a phenomenal thing. But like I said, there, there's multiple perspectives, and I think you have you have two different kinds of fans. I, I've noticed the one who's all in because the games have been great. There have been some phenomenal stories. I mean, how many guys in the Czech Republic would you have ever heard of playing baseball without this? I, I love stories like that. I love the story of a team signing a guy who comes in and pitches in relief for an inning, um, a 19-year-old kid who was probably a carpenter or a plumber before the, the, the series. I love those things. But but uh, like I said, it, it, there's two fans. The fan who's a fan of a team that wants to win the World Series that doesn't care about the WBC. And then there's a baseball fan who's watched every inning in this thing and has, has been in, you know, it's been nirvana for them. What are you thinking when Edwin Diaz hurts himself celebrating? Uh, after a strikeout at the end of a game, and, and, and here's did, the thing: Were you yeah. ever close to an uh, to an injury like that? Celebrating Never. at any time? No, only, only time. No, the only time I ever got close to that was in a bench clearing brawl. Um, but but I, it's just like the Jose Altuve broken finger or broken thumb. He's going to miss half the season or or at least two months. And everybody says, well, that could have happened in spring training. It didn't. It didn't happen in spring training. It happened in the WBC, and that makes it different. It's just different. And and you know, well, yes, he wouldn't have been celebrating a spring training win, also. So it, it right. wouldn't have. To your point, it would not have happened right. in spring training. That that injury but, specifically. Right. But it, it, and here's the thing: there are a lot of guys getting hurt in spring training that aren't in the WBC. But a, the the a lot of guys. A lot of those guys aren't 40-man roster, top of the order for a World Series contending team, which literally almost every player for the USA team is. And so any injuries are going to be catastrophic. And, you know, as a Mets fan, you probably have to feel a little bit cursed right now. You think guys will have this in contracts moving forward? As an owner, I absolutely would. I absolutely would. I'm sure the players would give pushback and and the players will uh, association will give pushback. But, you know, it, what, what's the value to you as an owner? I mean, uh, are are you going to lose? Are, there's there's two sides to this. Are you going to lose a, a forty million dollar player uh, for a season uh, over the WBC? Or are you going to pay him an extra five million, ten million to not play in the WBC? Because a, a World Series championship for an organization is a billion dollar prize, probably bigger for some teams. Um, but on the flip side, if you think about this. I wonder if this won't have a really good impact if they come back healthy on the Angels clubhouse because you've got two guys who have been on a losing team every year and they're around a very, very winning culture in their clubhouses. And I think that getting exposed to that is probably going to be a good thing for, for Mike Trout and for, for Otani. Kurt Schilling with us. So uh, the, the players in spring training have been co- uh, complaining about the new rules. Uh, and, and what we're going to see this season. And and they're about to tweak some of the rules prior to opening day. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, based on feedback from the players, is this a good thing or is this going to be mass confusion? Well, let me ask you guys this. I, I, I wanted to ask this right off the bat. The, the WBC has not been using the new rules. Have you heard anyone complain about a three-hour game? No, I haven't heard anything about the, and the timing. And I've heard the, the only timing I've heard is the spring training games are down exactly. significantly. 
Yep, but you haven't heard anybody watching the WBC complain about the length of the game. So I, you know, I yeah, they're going to tweak it. Um, it'll continue to get adjusted because you're going to have organizations, you're going to have managers. W- watch the Mets. Watch watch how Buck Showalter because this is just right up his alley. He will use the new rules to his advantage in every possible way with his players, whatever that means. Um, you know, and and I said before, and I think I told you guys this. It, it, for, from a pitching perspective, if this if this impacts you as a pitcher, you're not very good anyway, because because mm-hmm. good pitchers don't work slow. And I, I mean, what we've seen, I believe, is the, the the Major League Baseball responding to the the networks, right, and and not the players. Now, in this, I don't think they're doing some massive rule change right now, but I do wonder about. When they start the clock, how long the all that maybe the mannerisms and the mechanics of it change just just a bit. Kurt, I don't know how much time you've even spent thinking about this, but with all these regional sports networks now filing for bankruptcy, and this is the home for so many Major League Baseball teams' games throughout the year, what do you think about the landscape of of media rights and baseball and where this thing may maybe could go or should go next? Well, it's going to have a dramatic impact. I'm just not sure what that looks like because, you know, I, I try to explain to, to to a lot of people, the fans, you know, the, the fan that argues, you know, I pay your salary. You know, no, you, you actually don't. The, 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 the attendance in-house is kind of uh, uh, icing on the cake for these teams. All their money is coming from TV uh, and, and, and uh, broadcast rights. The multi-billion dollar um, packages uh, that they're generating – I could see Major League Baseball in a sense, because let's be clear, uh, entertainment, had, the landscape for entertainment has changed in ways no one imagined 10 years ago. There's only one true television worthy event anymore, and that's live sports. Everything else I can watch when I want, where I want, and how I want, but I can't do that with live sports. So, I look at and you look at the NFL and you look at uh, um, the the length of the Major League Baseball schedule. I can see baseball bringing the broadcast back into itself and owning it and and being uh, the purveyors of local broadcasting and and monetizing it that way. Uh, and, and and as opposed to be well, uh, let's 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 take the Yes Network in New York as the example, right? I mean that money goes into the Yankees coffers. What's the what's to keep the rest of the teams from doing? And obviously, you're talking about different markets. I mean, uh, Tampa and 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 Miami are what they are. But but the but think about like Philadelphia. They all have localized sports networks. If those guys took over the broadcasting, I, I think there would be some bumps in the road. But I hopefully you'd get rid of blackouts and you you'd see the clubs and the payrolls go or the 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 revenue go through the roof again. Yeah, when Bally sold. Uh, it was what 14, roughly 14 teams, I believe. It's like a 10 billion dollar enterprise at that time, and so quickly it's changed. I wouldn't mind yep. a, a, a game by game pay per view, Kurt. Um, and I, like if I want to watch a game, but I don't want the full package, I'd like to be able to pay seven bucks and watch the game. Like buying a ticket. Yeah, a la carte. Like buying yeah. a ticket. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I. That's coming. That's absolutely coming. Um, I, I think that. Yeah, I think being able to, you know, the Major League Baseball, Major League MLB.com uh, runs uh, a lot of the big uh, online uh, broadcast. You've seen YouTube get into it uh, and some other stations. But, you know, and hopefully uh, uh, some of that will come Fox's way and Outkick's way as well, because I think we'd be phenomenal at it. Um, 
I, it's going to be interesting to see, but I, it, the only thing I really honestly see is just more money for the game, uh, not less. And that's as a player, that's not a bad thing. More baseball discussion with Kurt through his show, Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, Outkick.com, every Tuesday and Fridays when the new episodes are available one to out you. today. Yeah, we've got it available right now. Uh, and a, a high school-esque Michael Jordan moment uh, is the comparison I saw, Kurt. I, I can't wait to go listen to this. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, my comparison to Michael is that neither one of us played varsity sports until our senior year. I, gotta, uh, I got cut. I, I got cut my first three years. I got to get the uh, backstory we'll, we'll there. We'll definitely have uh, to hear this And one. Kurt's reaction uh, yep. to that in, in real time. Kurt, appreciate it as always, man. We'll catch up soon. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Kurt. Kurt Schilling, uh, again, outkick.com for the show. Chad, um, bringing up uh, WBC right there. We've got to get into the calls for Japan's un- unlikely win. And you've got both versions. I, believe. I, I was, I, as, as I tend to do, yeah. scrolling Twitter last night, seeing what was going on after coaching my daughter's softball game, got home, wanted to catch Another up victory. on everything. Another victory, by the way. And I, I get some people who retweet some of the best stuff. And I saw someone retweet the Japanese national call on national radio of their win last night over Mexico. And then the juxtaposition of the tone of the Mexican <laughs> national radio call of that same moment with the loss. And it is spectacular. It's one of those when you don't speak the languages, it could be anything you want. And, but you know what? You just close you your eyes and you could make this about anything yeah. that they're talking about in your head at the time, not watching the play. It's terrific. And we also have details on a cheerleading hazing incident and investigation. That's next on Outkick 360. Our thanks to Kurt Schilling for joining us. Outkick 360 rolls on. Chad, uh, you mentioned with Kurt the uh, World Baseball Classic was the discussion, and then right after we were discussing uh, Japan and the, the unlikely uh, drama of this game against Mexico where, was it the fifth inning where the incredible catch and in deep, was it deep left? Azarenka? Yeah, I mean, amazing catch over the wall uh, for Mexico. Uh, that's overshadowed, though, by the walk-off and how Japan ends up winning uh, to advance to the championship. And, and we have different versions of the play-by-play call. You'll hear Japan first on the winning end, followed by uh, Mexico on the losing end as Otani scores. Otra vez de costado, Giovanni. Batazo, sólido al jardín central. La pelota recoge Candela y va contra el muro. Doble Tani, semáforo luz verde, siga para el pentágono, anota. It's amazing, you though, tell. The, uh, the way the Spanish language sounds. It's like so musical in the pacing yes. of it that even when they're describing heartbreak, it sounded beautiful. It sounded upbeat. And, well, upbeat... I guess for us, but not them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Versus what they're the, hearing is that... I mean, whenever we hear the uh, Spanish announcer with a goal in soccer, I mean, it's... What they're it's hearing evident. is we just lost to Japan in this baseball game, yeah. and we're done. That's what they heard. 
So at, at Austin P. State University, there's been an investigation for hazing, um, cheerleading hazing, and the details are, are out where you've got uh, blindfolding going on. Uh, the Clarksville Leaf Chronicle has the details. Standing in a corner on one leg, uh, giving the keys uh, of the van to buy alcohol, which is a part of this too, but uh, the investigation turns up some weird things. I haven't... When's the last time you heard of a hazing story in sports? I, I had to, like... It's been, like, five, seven, maybe what was a the, decade. Remember the... Was it the Dolphins offensive? Who was the guy that... Yeah. Yeah, the offensive lineman. Offensive lineman for the Dolphins. I remember that story. I'm blanking on the guy's name back, now. Though, that was probably yeah. 10 years ago, maybe more than that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's it's been a while. And look, this is so. This is a G and O night chat. This is some pretty lightweight hazing. Yes. For I mean, that's they're lightweight. They're cheerleaders. For, I for get what? that. The joke. The joke is there. It offers itself up. Um, I was in a fraternity in college, so this is not hazing were, to me. Uh, now here's yeah. where they get in trouble. Hands was well, a common thing. yeah, we didn't have a coach. We didn't have a university right. assigned uh, employee that was our coach. The biggest, the reason that the coaches got fired and the, uh, everything was, I think, you know, taken from them was because the biggest part of the story to me, my takeaway was, they gave the keys to underage people to go get to go drinks, get yeah, and then they partied together in the same hotel suite with underage members of the team. The coaches did, or at least one of the coaches did. The coaches That's were the required to attend. It was requi- That's required the attendance, and they uh, also for the did something staff. where they blindfolded them and fed them a liquid. They said was not alcohol, but what they gave them resulted in vomiting. Yes. So I'm uh, thinking, okay, that's... Reported a lot of vomiting afterwards. All cheer members were then driven to an alumni's house to drink and party. That was on the I, G night. G, you know, the O night was at an assistant coach's home. No coaches were present that night. Cheer members had to memorize and recite chants and phrases. Failure to uh, do it completely and accurately resulted in punishments including standing in a corner on one leg, holding a stack of books one-handed above the head until they could complete the task. Afterward, there was drinking involved. I mean, again, this sounds like uh, fraternity hazing. I mean, This I, sounded it, like a fun night yeah. in my fraternity. Like, <laughs> this was actually the good hazing. Oh, yeah. here, your big brother comes up and says, I've got a bottle of something for you to drink. Great. The school notes that the hazing and the alcohol usage are not connected. Uh well, I mean, I don't. It's very odd that they I guess won't you could say. say I, I guess you could say the the alcohol consumption would have happened either way. Look, anything that Joe Kenzie writes or reports on, when Joe Kenzie reports, I'm there to read the reports, and this is his reporting on this. But when the report from was it the Leaf Chronicle, whatever mm-hmm. the Clarksville paper is, uh, when the report says they were told the liquid was not alcohol, but then they drank it and resulted in vomiting, can we just bridge the gap and say that it was alcohol and don't leave it to my mind to wonder? what the liquid was, because they don't clarify that it was alcohol. Or they drank enough alcohol to start vomiting, just said it resulted in vomiting. And I'm thinking, well, this changes the story. Was if it it's urine. Mil- was it the milk challenge? No. you try to drink a gallon Again, of milk in an hour? If it's urine or something, then that changes the hazing part of this, right? Sure. Oh, Is yeah. it Clorox? I had no. a fraternity brother who drank Surely Clorox. Uh, is that what they drank? I mean, what was it? Can you just say that it was alcohol? Was it rubbing alcohol? Like, what did they give them? Was it Rumplemints? Was it Goldschlager? Was it rum? I want to know exactly what it was they were fed. Were they waterboarded? I mean, I don't know what they were given uh, that caused the vomiting. Just say what it was. Well, they then proceeded to go out partying and drinking, so it couldn't have been that bad. It's a story that if they just said in the report exactly what it was, it would would 
be more understandable from my perspective. So the cheer team is suspended until new le- new leadership is hired at Austin P. I mean, the search you, begins. You for see that leadership. nothing of a of a sort in the NFL anymore, other than carrying pads in to the locker room for rookies. There's nothing like that. Uh, like it was like it started in 2005 uh, at practices where I mean you have guys tied to a goalpost. You know, we, we have Jeff Fisher in here talking about pranks uh, with his former players. There's nothing like that anymore. And it's due to, in part, you know, the, the, the idea that the new generation is, is often running in a different direction than what's assumed to be uh, all fun and games whenever you enter the league as a, as a rookie, or in this case, uh, new people to the cheerleading squad. Uh, in a future show, everyone in the studio right now will tell their favorite hazing story from their past. I feel like everyone had to have been hazed at some point. That means Chad will be shirtless. On a team. Chad will be a, shirtless soon. In a band, in a fraternity. We've all been the hazed at some point. Back at it tomorrow for Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. And so I thank, I thank all of you. And I am because you are.